this time on episode 446 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we're going to discuss the She-Hulk Attorney at Law Pen Ultimate episode, Ribbit and Rip It. We're also going to talk that Wakanda Forever trailer that dropped this past week. I'm Stephen John Drew from Better Podcasting, a podcast about podcasting part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find fantastic geeky shows at gunnageeknetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the S.H.I.E.L.D. director. Now it's time for a scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Michelle. I'm Agent Chris. And I'm producer of the show, Director S.P. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., where a Marvel Comic Universe fan show discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Comic Book Universes as told on screen by Kevin Feige's juggernaut, Marvel Studios. The show is recorded on Saturday, October 8th, 2022, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast core TV wide. Come and join our live chat as we record. And if you didn't already catch on to it, we love talking about Marvel. Because that's not how math works. If you somehow would like to talk to us about how math works, head on over to our website at legendsofshield.com. If you would like to teach Jen how to, well, math, you can leave us a voicemail at 844-THE-BUS-1. It's 844-843-2871. If you know some really good math jokes, especially with a little bit of a visual component, make sure you tag us on Twitter when you post it at Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're on YouTube, youtube.com slash gunnageek. If you want to come tell us all about the superiority of doing your math in pen, Come talk about it on our Discord server at gunnageek.com slash Discord. And remember, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the gunnageek.com network and wishes my mom a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Michelle's mom! Yay, Michelle's mom birthday! So I got a theory here. In order to teach a lawyer how to do math, you have to do one of two things or both. You have to do it in terms of fractions of an hour or dollar amounts. One of those two. I agree. That makes sense <laughs> to me. Anthony couldn't be with us here tonight. He's got a voicemail that is going to be played a little bit later. He is going to be returning for the finale next week of She-Hulk. Also, just uh, want to note that Lauren couldn't be with us. She's dealing with a vet scheduling type of thing this morning. So, and vet for, as a veterinarian. So she couldn't be able to be here, but we do have her thoughts on the episode, which unsurprisingly our singular thoughts but we will go over them anyway are you guys ready to talk some she-hulk yep oh yeah let's jump right into it here we go she-hulk attorney at law episode eight which is the penultimate episode in the season perhaps series premiered on disney plus thursday october 6 2022 the episode was titled Ribbit and rip it. And the IMDb description reads She Hulk represents Leapfrog, who was injured due to a malfunction in his custom made super suit. Chris, who was the director of the episode? This one was directed by Kat Corio. She has 30 directing credits going all the way back to 2007. There's an episode of Brooklyn Nine Nine, four episodes of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, an episode of Modern Family, a couple episodes of Dead to Me the 2022 film Marry Me, and six episodes of She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. And she will be directing the finale next week as well, or has already directed. I don't know the vernacular, the pretense of saying next week's episode is directed by, but she will be directing. Anyway, Michelle, who wrote this episode of She-Hulk? This episode was written by Cody Ziegler, has 12 writing credits starting in 2014, including three shooting to stardom with Chaz Lopez, Two of Mom Stop, four episodes of Robot Chicken. This episode of She-Hulk, interesting note, 
Cody has been the staff writer on all nine episodes. Cody has also written comics, specifically Spider-Man and Miles Morales. According to my research, no She-Hulk or Daredevil. And a follow-up to last week, we were curious about gender in the writing room. Cody Ziegler and Zeb Wells, which was last episode from my research, are the only male writers. And Jessica Gao is still remaining the She-Hulk showrunner. And because we haven't heard about her demise yet, I would assume next week she will be the showrunner as well. In the meantime, we have a exclusive that we do on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. I can't hype this up enough. We run down what's happened in the episode so we don't have to do the point-by-point discussion in our review. And this one was written by Michelle. Thank you very much, Michelle. I hope you like it. All right, we'll see here, and I'll start us off. Leapfrog tries to stop a robbery, but epically fails. During his escape, the jet boots fail, and his inflammable suit catches on fire. Leapfrog wants to sue Luke for damages. Without investigating the client's claims, Jen tells him that he has a case. Jen tries to pass the case on to Pug after she learns the designer is Luke. Holden tells Jen that they have to keep the Patalalos happy, and they want a Hulk on the case. Holden suggests Jen handle the matter outside of court. Luke is insulted when Jen comes in and tells him a client wants compensation for a faulty suit. For some reason, Luke doesn't ask who's filing the claim, and Jen doesn't mention who her client is. Perhaps exchanging this information could have prevented Jen from being denied a dress for the gala. In court, we finally, finally get the official introduction of Matt Murdock into the MCU. Matt and Jen debate about Luke's client list. The Sokovia Accords have been repealed, so superheroes have the right to privacy again. Because lives are on the line, the judge agrees with Matt. Even though Matt is a lawyer from New York and not California, and that is not a jurisdictional problem at all. Matt sniffs out the truth. Leapfrog used jet fuel. And the case is dismissed. Afterwards, Matt and Jen bond over drinks. Matt tells Jen that Luke made suits for him, but Jen doesn't suspect that Matt is a superhero. Hmm? Todd calls Jen because he needs her help returning a weapon from Wakanda he won in an auction. Wakanda wants it back because colonizers stole it. Jen rejects Todd's advances, but not the premise of the case. Leapfrog calls Jen for help. Jen finally has a reason to use her super suit. Daredevil and She-Hulk fight. She-Hulk doesn't care about massive property damage. During the fight, Matt is revealed to be Daredevil, and Leapfrog is the villain because he kidnapped Luke. Isn't Henchman different? No matter what you think, Matt's echolocation lets him know how many there are. Which is the best approach, stealth or smash? We get both as Matt fights in the hall and She-Hulk smashes in and crushes some hench goons. Luke is rescued and Leapfrog ends up in the hospital because he didn't know how to do a proper three-point superhero landing. Jen and Matt have a good night together. Daredevil does the walk of shame. Jen thinks the episode should be over and... Honestly, so did all of us, but she still has a gala to attend. Mom and dad watch as Jen wins, as Mallory wins, and as four other female lawyers win. During Jen's speech, Hulk King displays the hacked information and footage of Jen having sex with Josh and claims she stole her powers. Others try to warn her, but She-Hulk smashes her way out. People are frightened. Damage control surrounds She-Hulk. Right, an interesting episode indeed. Michelle, first thoughts. Jen was right. They shouldn't have gone to the gala because the gala part destroyed how good the episode could have been. Normally, I'm a fan of fake endings, but maybe not this one so much. I'm glad Charlie Cox had a non-Daredevil series hallway fight scene to warm up on in the MCU. But yeah, we'll talk about that a little later. Ribbit and Ripit. We got a couple of voicemails on this. We're going to play them right off the bat here because they have a lot of great things to say. First one's from Boba Fett Ship from the GunnaGeek.com Discord server. 
Hi, this is Boba Fett's ship. And much like Jen, I can't believe next week is the season finale. This has been my favorite Disney Plus series so far. It has been pitch perfect. I have been a She-Hulk fan since the very beginning and just absolutely love Tatiana Maslany's portrayal. She is Jennifer Walters. I am hoping we get multiple seasons of this show, and I'm hoping that we see She-Hulk represented all over the MCU. Specific to this week's episode, this was my introduction to Charlie Cox's Daredevil, having only seen him in Spider-Man No Way Home prior to this. Wow, I love this character. I'll be moving the Netflix Daredevil series up near the top of my to-watch list right away. Looking forward to the finale next week. Thank you very much, Boba Fett Ship. A couple of things there. First of all, I am interested in how they infuse the She-Hulk character into the rest of the MCU. Are they going to take the character as it stands right now, as it's been shown in the series, or are they going to morph it into something a little bit different? What do you guys think about that? Definitely have an opportunity to switch things up a little bit going from TV production to a movie production. But I just really like the way it's been done here in this series. I don't think you should change much. Well, you should definitely improve the CGI. I figured that was a given. I hope so as well. And the other point he brings up about going back and watching Daredevil in Netflix I'm going to set the way back machine to like eight, nine years ago when we didn't have any comic book shows on TV. And all of a sudden we got Arrow on CW and then we get Daredevil over on Netflix. Both dark, both gritty, both fight heavy or fight choreography heavy choreograph. Yeah, fight choreographic heavy. And they were wonderful shows at the time. They are dark. Both of them. Season one of Arrow and season one of Daredevil. Very, very dark. Matter of fact, I would argue that all the Netflix shows are very dark. It was a darker side to Marvel Comics at the time. And at the time, it was debatable where they were, whether they were part of the MCU or not. So I wish you well as you go watch it, but it's going to be an entirely different tone than you see in Disney Plus with Marvel Studios show right now. It's definitely going to be dark. It's going to be gruesome. It's going to be graphic. And the iconic hallway fight scene is in one of the first episodes, if not the first episode of season one. And it really set the tone for what the expectations were for the Daredevil character in Marvel at that time. And we'll talk about how Daredevil has been portrayed in this episode too. So thank you very much, Daredevil. You guys have any other Daredevil thoughts here before we move on to the next voicemail for Boba Fett? Oh, for Boba Fett? Yeah. Realize that in the Netflix series that his outfit is just ketchup there's no mustard all right and if you have small children watch it yourself first to make sure it's okay for them definitely all right now we have another voicemail from anthony who couldn't be with us tonight hey guys it's anthony sorry i can't be there to join you this week otherwise i would have a lot to say about this episode i thought this is what the show should have been all along I thought this episode moved. I liked the character interactions between Matt and Jen. I thought, despite what a lot of people are saying on the internet, this episode perfectly nailed who Matt is as a character from the comics version. A lot of folks know him from the Netflix, and they think he's very dark and broody, and he does have that side to him. But Matt in the 616 is also kind of a hornball. So it doesn't entirely surprise me that he would go ahead and sleep with Jen just after meeting her. I think that the fourth wall breaks were a little annoying in this episode only because as i've said previously it's one thing to lampshade some things that are out there it's another thing to use the fourth wall breaks and talking to the camera as a way to say yeah we know the pacing for this show is terrible you're just gonna have to live with it i'm wondering if the whole female lawyer of the year thing was just a setup by the intelligentsia to publicly shame jen i'm not really fond of slush shaming as a technique as a trope, but I understand why they're using it to say things about what it is to be a woman in the world today. Lastly, the lawyering in this episode was definitely not accurate, although there are motions in front of a judge, there's briefs, there's a schedule, there's no way this happened on the accelerated time frame the way that it does, and there's also not a good chance that the entire case would just be dismissed like that, despite what the judge was saying. I could get into it more, and I have a lot more to say, but I'm sure I'll, I may bring that up next week. 
Anyway, have a great episode, guys. Sorry I can't be there, and I'm looking forward to seeing you next week for the finale. And we're looking forward to seeing you for the finale, too, Anthony. Wow, he unpacked a lot there, and I think we're going to talk about it all, but at least we have Anthony's thoughts as we go forward. So we're going to start talking about all that lawyer stuff and the introduction of Matt Murdock into the Disney Plus series, because this will be his first appearance for actual Marvel Studios production. He was in the Sony production of Spider-Man before. This is his first true appearance in the Disney Plus series and the MCU. So what you guys think? Daredevil, mustard and ketchup. There could have been a better way to introduce him story-wise. I am completely prepared for being the only person who did not like this episode because I figured a lot of people are going to like this episode. Charlie Cox still remains an amazing Daredevil and Matt Murdock. One of the things I liked about this introduction was we got a playful Matt Murdock and then we've got a daredevil that could kick butt and have a great interaction with another superhero i liked the fact that he's in here and i like the characterization of matt murdoch and daredevil in the episode i am not a big fan of the yellow and red costume but that being said i'm not a big fan of it in the comics either i just think it looks silly and stupid but it's accurately silly and stupid, so I got to give him a lot of credit for that. I agree with a lot of what Michelle says here. I also really like that despite the fact that Jen and Matt instantly start fighting when they see each other in their super forms, they do have the conversation, albeit too late, hey, we're both superheroes, why are we fighting each other? Probably would have been a little more useful beforehand, but you know, what are you going to do? You have to move the plot somehow. I just want to point out one of the two things that Lauren sent us in a text last night. One is it's like this is Mark Quaid Daredevil versus the Frank Miller Daredevil of the Netflix show. So you are talking about two different portrayals, basically, of Daredevil. And also, honestly, you have Charlie Cox, who has matured as an actor over time and has matured in his portrayal of Matt Murdock over time as well. We covered the entirety of the Daredevil series on this show in earlier episodes. And I remember the extent that he went to to try to portray somebody that was blind. So he actually did a lot of study into that. And that kind of shows his maturity in that in this episode, as well as he's a lot more playful. And I think he got a little bit more playful in season three of Daredevil than season one, definitely. But I did enjoy him being a part of the universe, which means that it's possible to get the rest too, like Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and the other characters in the Iron Fist series. Colleen. You can get Colleen. Yep. And Misty. Misty Knight. Gotta get Misty Knight. So that was cool as well. As far as the lawyering stuff, I will agree wholeheartedly with, with Anthony. I can't imagine having to watch like if this was a rocket science show an actual not sci-fi but an actual rocket science show i'd be like ah! so i understand how anthony's got two different minds he's a lawyer this is what he does and he understands how lawyering works and the law works on the other hand he's a comic book guy and he understands how comic book works that intersection has to be tough watching these because they throw out everything that's lawyering here yeah. First, I don't know why they're showing Jen as an incompetent lawyer. She's brought this case and she's going to have to represent Leap Fog no matter what. We get it. Rich parents. But there's something called due diligence. She didn't even like look at the costume, apparently. I have no idea. She should have had it tested. And then eventually taking it because it's the dad that is the big client as holden says taking it to holden who takes it to the dad it's like hey this case has the potential of making you look like an idiot because your son is acting like an idiot 
And the father could have been like, okay, one, I'm going to stop my son from acting, doing all this nonsense, or two, I pay you a lot of money to it anyway. Due diligence is basically, I told you so. I also call it passing the bullet because when you do this, you don't have something that can people can't shoot you with. We didn't need the artificial conflict between Jen and Luke. Jen would have known this nonsense when she went to Luke. Luke should have been, who has the audacity to criticize me and my impeccable work? And Jen could have been like a sleepfrog. And Luke would have been like, oh, him. Okay, I'm going to see you in court because I know they're rich and everything. So I'm going to see you in court. Don't worry, I got it handled and your dress will be ready by Friday. Because Luke could have known that the other thing that for some reason he can call in a New York lawyer and bring him into California, you have to be licensed in the state to practice i don't think matt's past the california bar and all that type of stuff so there's just a lot of they're making her look incompetent bad lawyering and artificial conflict like all wrapped up into all of this there are provisions that you can bring in a lawyer from another state into the state and i won't speak specifics because i don't know them as well as Anthony, because he would have to know them. But I know in some states, you can bring another lawyer with you along to be like the lawyer that understands what's going on in the jurisdiction, in the county, in the state. I know that you are sometimes there are states and not New York and California, as far as I know, but some states practice reciprocity depending. And I know I just said that wrong, but depending on their proximity, basically. A lot of times, like if you're in the tri-state region in New York, I, I don't know the actualities between New Jersey and New York. I know Anthony knows that because he lives in New Jersey, but I think there are some cases where you can do that. But you're absolutely right. It would have to be decided before you went into the courtroom on if Matt Murdock could represent Leapfrog in the whole thing. Absolutely. Even if you can pass over Matt being able to practice in California, I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibility that he is licensed in both. And for our purposes here, I don't care. But why would Jen not even try to figure out why Leapfrog's suit catches on fire? It's such an easy conversation to have with Luke. Like, hey, you made the suit for the guy. Even if she doesn't want to tell him who it is because of confidentiality reasons that are going to be broken in a few weeks anyway, what could possibly happen with a suit that you made to be inflammable like that and make it actually catch on fire and then follow up on that? Like, how is she learning in court that the guy is using jet fuel? Jet fuel is not good. The whole thing, the lawyer or the judge said, we can all tell he's lying. You can't just do that. You have to prove that somebody is lying. You can't just say, oh, he's lying. Like, okay. <sighs> Moving on to a little less aggravating subject for me. In the previously on for the episode, Emil Blonsky is telling Jen that everyone that you meet, no matter how much they hurt you, is a lesson learned. I'm wondering why that was put in this episode. And I wanted to focus it on Matt Murdock, but I think I have another character involved as well. But what lesson did Jen learn by meeting Matt Murdock? One, there are other types of superheroes. She knows she knows of the Avengers who are, everybody knows Steve Rogers is Captain America. And apparently everyone also knows he's America's ass because she has it on her phone. And as always, I loved it. Bruce is the Hulk. Thor, like she's, that's the arena she's been in. Superheroes having their identity out there. and. This is really the first time, because even Leapfrog is just like, you need to come to my secret lair, which is called the lily pad. And it's up there neon light. So technically he is out and like, I'm the superhero. Then she meets someone like Matt who actually has to keep the identity safe. And that's part of the debate that they have in court, which is a very familiar discussion 
that's had that's always also been the spider-man thing so who who should i tell because i could put them in the way of doc ock or something like that so jen gets to meet a different type of superhero and also maybe go in with your questions first instead of fist first it surprises me how often you will have the heroes come in and they'll have a bit of a dialogue with a villain before they start fighting. But when you get heroes together, there's no dialogue. There's just, hey, I'm going to punch you in the face, and then they go try to punch each other in the face. Okay, some feasible lessons learned there. Now that I think about it, I'm thinking it's another character, so we'll come back to that in a little bit. Let's focus in on who the heck Leapfrog is to begin with. Is Leapfrog in the Marvel comics? I don't know. I mean... He is trying to be a little bit altruistic. He's trying to protect the store from robbers. Maybe it's his store that he just doesn't want to lose inventory from. I don't know. But I don't know who Leapfrog is. Leapfrog is a character that exists mostly as a villain from what I've seen. Not really in a lot of things that I've read. But he did have his debut back in Daredevil number 25 in December of 1966. Therefore, the Daredevil connection. All right. Something else that was dropped during this episode that is not a small thing is that the Sokovia Accords have been repealed. Matt Murdock mentions that within the court, and it is something that We did not know what the disposition was, but was a main conflict in the MCU. And then in this She-Hulk episode, it's just dropped. Oh, yeah, they've been repealed. Oh, okay. I guess. Is this what Kevin Feige is going to do with some plot devices that he just wishes would go away in the future? So when did they get repealed is what I want to know. Because the way that Matt dropped it in there, it seemed like... Yes, it's long enough ago to where the judge should probably know, but not so long ago that Matt feels like, hey, this is common knowledge, like the fact that Monday comes after Sunday. I wonder if Matt got flipped and Matt witnessed the whole process of the Sokovia Accords being repealed, because that's when I think it probably would have happened. That's another thing. It's like people at Marvel's like, okay, we're going to have Thanos and then there's going to be the snap. There's going to be five years. And then they just sort of forgot that they going to have the MCU continue after. It wasn't like, okay, that's it. The MCU is over. We're good. We've wrapped everything up. And now they, there's just sort of hand waving the PTSD the world should be having over one, half the population disappearing in an instant, and then two, that half returning in an instant. There's a lot of hand-wavy, everybody is kind of okay, and this kind of happened, which it would have been interesting for that to be part of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the Sokovia Accords, because both of them were involved. I mean, that's Bucky. Bucky was a really, I don't know, It would have been good having it there, but they needed it still in place for Spider-Man. They did? Yeah, his whole identity thing. That was was the whole big thing. Yeah, okay. So, when they all came back, they decided to get rid of the Sokovia Accords. I don't know, they made an entire movie about the Sokovia Accords. That was the Age of Ultron, and then it went into, you know, like, That's where it started because that's Sokovia. And then we get Civil War, that movie. And then we just get a line in She-Hulk. Yeah, that's my point. The deal is Kevin Feige is trying to close loops that are caused by really good storylines, really. But they just don't bring it to a conclusion. Like you said, the MCU is continuing on after Endgame. Like, okay, how are we going to deal with this stuff? Also, this is entirely different MCU than Marvel Comics because you're going to have actors that get old and have to be phased out, right? So the timeline of when actors are a part of the MCU is completely different from the timeline that these characters are in Marvel Comics. So they're having to take liberties there, and I get it. It's just a different adaptation of the world or worlds, 
we already talked about multiverse quite some time. But yeah, the Sokovia Accords in this particular case is something that needed to be addressed, and, and this is how it's addressed. So if you're just watching the movies, all of a sudden there might be an identity thing in the future, and you're like, what? Sokovia Accords? What happened with the Sokovia Accords? So yeah, that's my point, is I don't mind because this is supposed to be part of the MCU, but it seems a little light-handed to me. Let's talk about Goons and Henchmen, because I am big into Goons and Henchmen, especially after the Venture Brothers of trying to define what a goon and a henchman is. So Matt's definition, I don't know if this is accepted across the board, but Matt's definition of a henchman is that they believe in the cause and a goon is just there for the paycheck. So what do you guys think about those definitions there? I've actually got them flipped around in my head, but more like, you know, the henchmen are the hired hands and they're fine. And goons are drinking the Kool-Aid and just following the leader. I mean, if you're paid, don't you believe in the cause because that's where the paycheck's coming from? Or is he suggesting that henchmen are doing it for free? I don't think henchmen do it for free either. Just because you're paid for something doesn't necessarily mean you believe in it. You believe it in enough to, to risk your life and to get a paycheck for it. Well, in this case, well, how much do they think that they were going to risk their lives being one of Leapfrog's gang, right? I mean, uh, you're not going to be, I don't know, storming helicarriers or whatever. I don't know. I guess if there's like some sort of like work for hire program, like, there's, you know how there's like employment services, like when you're trying to look for a job and then like other employers like they use to get temps or whatever. Maybe you don't want on your goon henchman resume that you were a tadpole for leapfrog. <laughs> Might be something you omit. That was another thing I was going to say. What If you were forced to be in leapfrog's circle or whatever, would you want to be called baby frog or a tadpole? Even though that's the same thing. I'd probably stick with Baby Frog myself. Yeah, you would. I could see. I could totally see that. You little Baby Frog. I could see you being a Muppet Baby Frog. Well, yeah, but who wouldn't? I guess that's Kermit, right? Baby Kermit. Yeah, he's so cute. Oh uh, yeah. Let's talk about that hallway fight scene, right? Uh, lots of cuts. Not some intense action. There were some moves, but. Yeah, not the same. Just not quite. It was a hallway. There was a fight, but just not at the level that we're used to seeing Daredevil. But on the upper end of what we're used to seeing in the Disney Plus shows. So it could be a nice little bridge over there. I do like, though, how Matt goes in, does his Daredevil light thing in there, and Jen comes in and is just pow pow gets hit by a bat looks more annoyed than anything else really you're gonna try that it was great she's got to learn that she's not going to be able to win every single fight that she fights she's going to come up with some something at some point that's going to best her you know what she does though is a bit more gruesome matt just hit people she smashed the roof in and smashed people underneath the concrete. For some reason, she's taken a page of from Superman, Zack Snyder's Superman, and just wanton po- uh, property damage everywhere. And she thinks for some reason leave- leaving a note is okay. The insurance claims that's going to be filed against her. What? Yeah, that's why you don't leave a note. Just hit and run. <laughs> yeah, she picks up. She thinks it's fine to pick up a stranger's car and throw it. And then... It's okay. It was what? A Lexus? Nissan? I don't know what it was. I could care less. Okay. It was obviously CGI, too. Bad CGI, but it was obviously CGI. Plus, if you don't see the bodies, nobody died. It's fine. Yeah. She does come up with the quote, She-Hulk smash. Finally. Not like huge not like yelling or anything just yeah she hooked mash it worked it was good 
I did like her fight with Matt because she ended it with a force clap and it was a big force clap. It wasn't like the small force claps that she was doing with her cousin. It was a big one. So it wasn't too big that she killed him, but it was big enough to knock him down and ruin his hearing from the concussive force. So he couldn't fight back even if he wanted to. At least we didn't have to see stumbling Matt Murdock out there afterwards. You think she still would have done that, though, if she knew about his echolocation? Eh, now that she knows, I don't think she'll ever do that against him, but I don't know. I mean, you use what you got when you're fighting, right? It's kind of like Batman with his plan to take out everybody else in the Justice League, just in case. You know, the other thing that Lauren sent us was they have amazing chemistry and I ship them and I wouldn't expect anything else from Lauren our shipping expert and no Chris we're not talking about UPS shipping yeah I was a little bit confused when she sent that but only because it had been a day yesterday <laughs> you actually thought she was talking about shipping like shipping through the mail um, only for a second or two and then I realized who said it and there's no way but y'all got the text anyway because the joke was sitting right there it's right there so another thing that was sitting right there was the end of the episode. It was sitting right there about 25 minutes and I'm like, okay, this is cool. We got the end of the episode. And then it kept going and I was like, uh, I don't know how I feel about this. It moved the story along. Obviously with Anthony's voicemail, he really enjoyed that. But I don't know if it should have been part of this episode. It was like two separate things. It was like an episode and then a mini episode. Wham, wham. Also, this. Okay, I get Jessica Gao viewpoint is coming through. Jessica Gao worked on Rick and Morty and she got a lot of internet hate because OMG, there's a woman and other women in the writer's room of Rick and Morty. But hello, this woman gave us Pickle Rick and she won an Emmy for us, you know, giving us Pickle Rick. If you don't watch Rick and Morty, just find the Pickle Rick episode and you'll just be fine because it's great even out of, it's a great episode. And I get her working this in. However, you don't have the right to make the plot go all over the place. You give us Titania first and we think there's going to be something there. And then it's moving on into like this Hulk King. And then now we've got her with being the sexual harassment, basically revenge porn incel sort of thing. And we've gone from, we could have done this a lot better to all of a sudden we have leapfrog introduced for some reason. There's a new character brought in, in the penultimate episode to help, and then we got another new character with Daredevil, you know, and then Mallory is just there for one line. And Nikki, this episode written another, both episodes about women getting harassed were written by men. And both these episodes don't pass the Betchel chest. And they're about women getting harassed and women's power and everything like that. And there's so much. That's just wrong with these two episodes. And I don't know if Jessica was just told this is how it's going to be or what, but I just can't believe that these episodes, which are supposed to be about harassment against women, were one, written by women, and two, this don't pass the Betchel test at all. It's weird. And then now we have damage control, which if you didn't, Watch Miss Marvel. You probably didn't know that was damage control because it's not like they were like, we're damage control. Stop where you are. And I get she was angry, but I, there's just so many inconsistencies. And now who's is after all this time insults the big antagonist. I don't know. It's so weird how with this series, 
It's like, I thought in the beginning, I knew what it was going to be, but now it's this, and I really don't know what it's going to be at the end. What about you two? Okay, so first off, fake endings just in general. I am totally fine with that, as long as I'm not in an environment like where you go to a movie theater and they serve food, but they stop serving food a certain amount of time before the end of the movie. So there you kind of have a a cheater on, hey, this isn't really the end. And I like the format freedom that these Disney Plus shows have because you don't have to fit into a regular TV schedule. It's kind of like with podcasting, you can make the episode as long as it needs to be. And if you need an extra 15, 20 minutes on an episode to do something cool, then you can do it. Who cares? So just the idea that there is the fake ending in general. I've got no problem with that. This one, though, in particular, there is no lead-in for this at all. We know that eventually Jen is going to be going to the gala. We know that Nikki's probably going to be going with her. And if she's not, it's going to be a really disappointed Nikki not going. But the way that all of this is, it just, to me, seems like it should have been the beginning of another episode. We don't get cliffhangers like this throughout the rest of the series. And, okay, we get Jen's family coming back in. And now, all of a sudden, they're in danger for stuff. We have Todd just off to the side doing whatever he's going to do. And then don't really see him again. You suddenly have She-Hulk, who has been a hero for long enough that everybody should know that she's a hero, especially if you're up to the level of being able to dispatch damage control like that. And she not only is damage control called on her, how did they get there that quickly? Because that's not like they're secretly following her around because they know that she, oh wait, maybe they are secretly following her around because they know that she can go off at any time. That just hit me. So something is going on here. And I don't mind shows and my media weaving in and out of themselves and going all crazy directions, but you have to tie it all together at the end. And they've got one episode now to tie it all together. First of all, I completely agree that Damage Control has been shadowing her probably since she got back from Bruce's seaside villa. And she just hasn't really cared because she hasn't it's not part of her life really i'm kind of surprised that they didn't materialize after the courtroom but maybe that's when they started shadowing her at some point they started shadowing her you can't have damage control in the mcu and not shadow she hulk when she, her powers start to become known uh, another thing michelle you mentioned internet harassment sexual assault sexual harassment all important topics i will not minimize the importance of those topics i will say that it is in my mind maybe i'm wrong possible although failed in this series but possible to be written successfully by men and i don't think you think that it's not possible but i just want to foot stomp that that it's possible it just didn't work in this series yes it is possible and it has been done i'm just saying that how did these episodes get past Jessica? Why did she allow these two episodes to... Okay, fine. She had them written by people that she's known. Okay. But for her to be like, the reason why... Like we talked about last week. Jen was so obsessed with Josh. And it was Josh, 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 Josh. And we've been talking about her being needed to be validated by men. And how there were just no women involved. And like, how come that was not being, you know, you're reading it and there's just all men around Jen. And you're just like, why does this need to be all men around Jen? That's my problem is that it's not so much these are written by men. These are written by men. You could tell, like, perhaps this is like, to me, maybe like a first pass or something that, you know, they got this idea and they wrote it out and it wasn't talked about, about how to bring in women because we have great 
female characters because we've had Titania, we have Nikki, we have Mallory. Why have they been sidelined? That's what I don't understand. We've had we had these in great introductions and great interactions between them. And then all of a sudden for these past two episodes, they've been dropped. And I'm saying, yes, you're right. Men, it's not about the fact that they're men. It's the fact that that they ended up like this. Good. I'm glad we agree on that because we, we agree on everything that you just said and why it didn't work. And yeah. So the other thing that I want to bring up, I want to close the loop here. At the beginning, remember, I said that there was a previously on and it was from Emil Blonsky. And he said, everyone you meet, no matter how much they hurt you, is a lesson learned. What lesson is learned by Jen? Two characters I brought up initially. I actually think there's three now. But I brought up Matt Murdock, and I thought that was the focus of it. But in thinking further, I think it's actually focused on two other characters. One, obviously, is Josh, because that's who they were talking about. But here's the other one. Todd. I think Todd's the Hulk King. I think it's very obvious because he's showing up at different events. It's like, why? The whole scene with him in the restaurant and the Wakanda stuff, I thought that might be a drop of, okay, remember, we have Wakanda here. But no, there is another reason. He is there because he's trying to be close to her because he's obsessed with her from the intelligentsia side of things. It's his personality. He's the hulking. He was there at the gala for that reason. None of the other guys that she was involved with in the dating stuff were there, but Todd was there. So what do you guys think? Is Todd the Cult King? The guy she catches does have the right build for it. And she doesn't pull the mask down. So I think there's a doyalist reason for that. And we're going to find out in the next episode. He does ooze that type of energy. One, he did call her a specimen, and that was mentioned before. Remember that guy who called me a specimen? He also said no one collects African blank like I do. Africa is a continent, not a country. It is a continent where several different countries with their own cultures. He got a Wakandan weapon and he needs help because the Wakandans want it back because it was purchased by colonizers. And he's like, well, I have the receipt and it's mine now. And then he claimed to have studied abroad in Wakanda. I don't think so. I don't think Wakanda has a study abroad program, not even during the blip. And definitely not someone like Todd. So he does ooze that potential. Well, they had a study abroad for Bucky, but that was a specialized case, right? Well, he needed a new arm. He needed to do everything. He needed to go through therapy. So, yeah, I think that's where we're headed here. And I don't know to what extent that Todd is going, or the Hulk King, whatever. I think it's one and the same now. I don't know how that's going to materialize in the finale, but I still stand by my prediction that I made last episode in that Emil Blonsky's team is going to be there for Jen, whether they get her out of whatever detainment that damage control has her in, whether they help her fight off the Hulk King and the henchmen slash goons that the Hulk King has. I think that is where we're headed. I don't know who else is going to be involved. I will say that I don't think Charlie Cox is going to be involved. I think that he was a one and done. I think he was there to introduce Daredevil into the series. I think he was there to have a short relationship with Jen. I think he was there for a very specific reason. I don't think we're going to have him again. As sad as it might be, I think we've seen the last of Wongers in here. That's just my opinion. If we get him, yay, I'm all for it, but I don't think we'll have him. I do think, and I've said this before, I probably will be wrong on this. I think Bruce Banner is going to be there at the end. I think we're going to get Titania as well in the end. And actually, I think Titania is going to be on Jen Walter's side now that I see what's going on. But I could be wrong there. 
So what are you guys thinking of the cameos that we've had so far in this series and where are they going to be? Are they going to be in the finale or not? I'll start with you, Chris. The problem with Bruce is that he's up in space, or at least he's been up in space. So I think he'll be in the episode, but I don't think he'll be physically by Jen. Titania in the comics likes fighting with Jen. Well, she likes fighting with She-Hulk. And I think she will take it as a, I'm going to keep my fighting partner around and kind of a enemy of my enemy situation. Abominations team all day long. I don't think you just pull in that deep of a cut just for the fun of it. Plus all the time they had to go into making porcupine suit. I think they want to get another episode out of that. And I don't think you can bring him in without bringing in everybody else along as a package deal. Matt maybe is like a phone call or something. And I think they've still got one more surprise, at least up their sleeves. My hope is ghost spider. What about Wongers? I mean, he can teleport in from anywhere. So that's a wild card. Yeah. But what about his trusty companion now too? We need her. They're chained together at this point. If they don't come together, then I don't know. The world will probably blip again. All right, Michelle, what do you think? I do agree a lot with what Chris said. And with you said, the, the team is probably going to be back up. Titania on the same side as She-Hulk to help get her. The one cameo I really would want is Ryan Reynolds as Daredevil, as um, Deadpool to come in and basically rate and critique Jen She-Hulk's use of the fourth wall breaking because the master of the fourth wall breaking <laughs> should come and discuss the fourth wall breaking quality of She-Hulk attorney at law. I'd be all for that if they did it in a post-credit scene to the whole thing. I think that would be like after it's all done, they have a post-credit scene of them sitting on the couch watching everything and like critiquing the the fourth wall breaks. I think that would be great. Either that or they both go into a fourth wall break at the same time and hey, wait, what are you doing? And then they realize they're both doing the same thing. <laughs> you could also get Gwen in there that direction and have Gwenpool. You keep searching for it. it that hasn't been teased whatsoever. The buy-in that I could get with Deadpool is they actually announced Deadpool 3. So we know that Deadpool's in the universe now. So I could see that of actually Tatiana Mussolini and Ryan Reynolds, not necessarily Jen Walters and Deadpool. I think that would work great. And we haven't had a post-credit scene in a few episodes, and we really need to bring that back. I think that was a failure. We did have the family in here so the streak starts again but we didn't have the family last episode like i said in the episode and our review of the episode i don't think there was a way to bring a family member in there so they did the best they could by mention of mom but still i think they should have tried because that was a good streak to have her family involved in the entire series in my opinion I just hope the last episode isn't entirely at the gala or anything. Just give the family a chance to go home because I don't think Jen's dad is carrying that shovel around with him all the time. Oh yeah, the shovel. We need to bring back the shovel. There's so many things I have focused on so many dead ends in past series that were just never brought up again. I'm like, yeah, we got to have this. We got to have this. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I would hope that it would be done better here. And perhaps, you know, you brought up, I think it was Michelle brought up before about how it was a first pass and that this really didn't, the series doesn't really make sense front to back plot wise. I wonder, and maybe this is a topic for a whole other podcast, so maybe we don't go into it right now, but I wonder if the fact that Marvel is so spread out now that they don't have as tight of control on the script or review on the script that they probably should have. And they're letting stuff go that really shouldn't be let go. They should not necessarily box creators in, but you get what the creators are trying to do and you say, okay, 
but there's this issue. How are we going to fix this? There's this issue. How are we going to fix this? Not necessarily a studio note, maybe a studio note. I don't know. But I think we're at that point where the MCU is just too big and there's too much happening where even Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios can't corral it. I know there's that problem over on DC, but we had hoped that Kevin and Marvel could do it a little bit better. Maybe not. There's another possibility, too, of maybe it's just a timing issue of when things had to be done. And yeah, this thing isn't as good as it could be. It's not really as good as we want it to be, but it's good enough for us to put out. And having something to put out is better than waiting and getting something perfect. Oh, God, the video game angle? Are you serious? Do you also know how many angle. video game companies are just like, yeah, we need more six months, but we said we were going to get this game out, but now we're going to get it out and nobody could play it because it's broken and no one can really play it until six months later when the patch comes out. And it's like, you could have just, no, I know this, this phase four, they're calling the four, five, 27. I don't know what phase this is being called right now has really been rocky and so many things like all these darts or remember like those little sticky things that you threw against the wall and they sort of like you know walk down the wall or whatever i just feel like you know because we had the eternals and we're not really too sure how it fit in and except for that post-credit scene where we heard blade's voice but we don't even know when blade's coming out not really and then you know we've had falcon and over to soldier had miss marvel which we know ties into the marvels at least we've got that sort of connection and it's just like where do these things go what what's gonna stick i just sort of feel like they've used this phase to throw out all of these things and to figure out what sticks and then like what sticks and what works is what they're going to go with we're not even done yet. You know, we've got Armor Wars, we got Ironheart, we've got secondary series like Agatha and Echo. And where does that all throw in there? Marvel Zombies. That's next phase. I just know we all know Wanda Forgot Forever ends this phase. That's what they announced. And remember, Armor Wars is now a movie. Yeah, that's my point, is they didn't know what all this was gonna go. And my other point was going to be that they had, didn't have their story conference until, what, a year ago or something like that within the past year. So phase four was already well down the road before Kevin Feige said, yeah, let's get together and let's figure out what we're doing. So I absolutely agree with you. They were just throwing darts out there and they were introducing characters because they kind of knew they were going to need them later. And even Kevin Feige at the time of Endgame had just gotten a hold of the toy box of Fantastic Four and Mutants. And he's like, we, get, we got to sit down and think about this because, you know, he thought of different things in his head, but it wasn't game planned out with like a council and, and story lined out into uh, what sort of chapters and, and issues that they're going to tell with these series and these one shots and these movies along the way. So, yeah, I agree with you. I was just pointing out that I think it extended even further into phase five because that planning conference happened before those series and TV shows were announced that are now in phase five. I mean, there's been some that have been announced afterwards, but I think they were still struggling with the whole Sony thing as well. I think that took up a bunch of time. Remember, Spider-Man was not going to happen. The great last Spider-Man movie that we had was not going to happen before Tom Holland went to both studios and said, guys, can't we all just get along? And he, he was just going to quit. And everybody's like, no, this, this can't be good for everything. So it made the studios get back together. And that was a big focus for both Sony and Marvel, Kevin Feige. It was time that Kevin had to take away from storytelling. It was dealing with Sony. So. Oh, and deliberating that Star Wars project, which he's eventually passed on. Yeah. You know, I think Disney wanted, well, first of all, I think that he always wanted to do it. So, I mean, as Star Wars fans, you're like, sure, I want to play in that sandbox. So I think that, but I also think from the Disney standpoint, they were like, we have to stop the bleeding. 
what can we do to stop the bleeding? And they're like, oh, well, let's throw Kevin's name out there. So they did. And we see where that worked. I don't know. Maybe eventually you'll get to tell his tale. It's not today. All right. I think that's it for our discussion of She-Hulk penultimate ribbit and rip it, which I thought I was going to botch every single time I said it, but apparently I didn't. There has been no ADR with that title in here. Next time we will be talking about the finale for She-Hulk, the attorney at law. I don't know if we're going to get another season out of it. I don't know where She-Hulk's going to appear next, but we'll be talking about the finale for this season at least next time. And in the meantime, we have something important to talk about about the next chapter in the MCU. As I mentioned, Wakanda Forever is supposed to end this phase, and there was a trailer. It's an amazing trailer. You can tell they are mourning T'Challa's loss. There's the Namor conflict. We actually see a little bit of Riri Williams, you know, with whatever she's created. And we do get a final image of a Black Panther. And there's a woman in there. And everyone is thinking that it's Shuri. But it doesn't necessarily have to be her. There are other capable women who could wear that suit. So just because, because also in the comic, Shuri is a bit older. The film in the MCU decided to make her a teenager. So I think it might be someone else. I don't think it's Shuri. I don't think she's the one in the suit. If it's not, Marvel has not given us any indication of who it's actually going to be, which is fine. I mean, I'm all for a surprise here. MCU's been full of surprises along the way. And I, this might be one where the MCU comes out and says, yeah, we, we need no spoilers for a week or two out of it. And if we get that acknowledgement, then we know that something's going to be happening. As far as Riri Williams, I saw the suit and I immediately thought of Veronica, by the way. But then I was like, well, wait a minute. You know, why, why would Veronica be there? And I was thinking Bucky or I was thinking anything else and then it dawned on me oh riri williams that's why we have a suit in here so it took me a second to figure that one out but yeah very cinematic trailer very cinematic very we're going to show you a big story and it's going to have a lot of pretty scenes and action and everything and yeah this is going to be a major production it's not going to be like an ant-man series or movie this is going to be a big production also, if Disney wanted to get away from Latita Wright and the little bit of a controversy they've had going with that, putting somebody else in the suit is a good way to be able to do that. Yeah, they can pivot. They <laughs> the entire Marvel universe has been known to pivot. Look at the how many actors have played the Hulk, right? <laughs> Since the two thousand, right? So all right. Well, that's it for our news this week. I think what we're going to do right now is we're going to don our Halloween costumes. We're going to go out and then later on tonight or tomorrow morning, we're going to have our walk of shame to get home. Walk of shame was so funny with Matt going and the, the lady walking her dog and Matt going down there and Nikki later on saying, Hey, there was this guy in this devil costume. So yeah, that was that was fun. Yeah, I know Nikki. That's because of me. <laughs> we had a lot of fun this week, and we're looking forward to next week. Hopefully, we'll have Lauren and Anthony back for the finale. And yeah, thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate it. I see the download numbers every week, and I know you're listening. So if you have something to say, I want to send a special thank you to Boba Fett Ship because, dude, you finally got out there. You got our voicemail line we really appreciate that once again that's 844 the bus one or 844-843-2871 we called it the bus because when we got the line back in 2013 we were talking about the bus on agents of shield so that's why it's the bus we're not talking about any other bus here we're talking about the agents of shield bus so please give us a voicemail we really appreciate your feedback back to us 
Yes, we appreciate all the feedback, even if it disagrees with whatever we say. Thank you for interacting with us, for listening to us. And if you want to hear more about what I say, you can find me on Twitter at Shell underscore game. I think we especially want to hear your feedback if you disagree, because that's always fun to get a new opinion there. And I'm just wondering now, if it was going to be a different bus, what bus would you want it to be? Because I would want the Magic School bus. But if you would like to hear more things from me, you can head on over to Play Comics, where I'm pretty sure the next episode is going to be me talking to Patrick Hickey Jr. about all of the fall releases that Legacy Comics is having come out. That'll be a big slate right there. All right. Looking forward to hearing that. And I'm, of course, on the Guinea Geek Show, which is back. You can find that at guineageek.com. Until next time, I'm Director SP. I'm Agent Michelle. And I'm Agent Chris. See everybody next week. Bye. 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 Be good to each other. She hooks. Smash! Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2022.